audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. We are beginning John chapter 4. Chapter 3 was a discourse or teaching about the new birth. John chapter 4 is a discourse on living water. Or even, as we're going to learn in chapter 7, rivers of living water. Because if you just drink normal water, and besides you should, especially if it's pure, then it's healthy for you. But you will get thirsty again, and you'll need to have a continual flow. But when you drink the living water from heaven, you will never thirst again. Your thirst, in fact, will be the catalyst for you entering into the wonderful, powerful, supernatural things of God, courtesy of the Holy Spirit. So our lesson here is called Jesus Comes to Samaria, and it's based on John chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. And we're going to see that Jesus has a divine appointment with a most unlikely person. First of all, it's with a woman. And the dealings between men and women were very much segregated, especially as adults, because, well, after all, women belonged to a man and vice versa, and you just didn't have a lot of, shall we call it, cross-pollination, at least not in public. It may have been a different story privately with so many, but of course, when it comes to the sinless Son of God, everything will be upright. But first of all, he's talking to a woman, It's just him and her. The second thing is they come from two very different races. She is a Samaritan. And we're going to learn more about the Samaritans. But Jesus, of course, comes from Judea, or at least he's originally from Judea. He's a Galilean, and he's Jewish. 100% kosher Jewish. These two groups of people, male and female, Samaritan and Jews, basically had nothing in common. In other words, this woman at the well was the most unlikely person for Jesus to be dealing with. He was holy and righteous, and she, well, she was not living rightly before God, as we're about to discover. Nevertheless, where iniquity abounds, grace abounds even more. This woman was going to be the recipient of some of the most wonderful news anybody could ever receive. She was having a personal encounter and up close with the Son of God, the Messiah, and the one who's coming to rule and reign forever and ever. I'd like to read to you a couple of verses here from John chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. And it tells us here, verse 6, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. All right, it seems clear enough and simple. 
Jesus is by a well. He's just been walking a long way. He had come from Jerusalem. He's now in the region of Shechem, or Shechem, now known as modern Nablus. He's at an ancient well that was in the time of Jacob, who lived, who knows, 18, 1900 years before Jesus. So that well has been around a long time. He's tired from his journey. The woman comes in the middle of the day to draw water, and he asks a simple request, give me a drink. Now, why didn't he get his own drink? Possibly because he didn't have the, the bucket and the rope. He had nothing to draw with. And in fact, she actually makes that comment. She is the one that had the capacity to bring forth the water. So he's asking her, can you give me a drink? And of course, what happens after this is a most amazing discourse. Instead of talking about the water that was to come from Jacob's well, Jesus is going to teach her about water that comes from heaven. Now I'm going to read to you the entire section, John 4, verses 1 to 9. The lesson is called Jesus Comes to Samaria. And again, our reference is John chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Friends, let's listen carefully, because this is God's word. And it's life to those that find it, and health to all their flesh. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. That's very true. But Jesus is crossing the taboo line and bringing redemption to everyone. Let's begin with this rather remarkable story, which is not going to be finished in this lesson. It's an interesting discourse, but we begin. Verse 1 of John chapter 4, the Pharisees. Jesus found out about the Pharisees. They knew that he was making and baptizing even more disciples than John. Now, just as John had a clash or confrontation or disagreement or questions with the religious establishment elite of his day, Jesus knew he'd have the same conflict, the same clash. However, his time of confrontation and indeed his time of crucifixion had not yet come. So because the environment in Judea is very different to that of Galilee, he decided he better go to calmer waters for now. One of the things you're going to see in John's gospel is that there will be seven miracles. When miracles happen in Galilee, they are universally accepted and people rejoice. It's 
like a revival. They're all thrilled to be where the action is. However, when a miracle happened in Judea, for example, the lame man healed at the pool of Bethesda in John 5, or the healing of the blind man at the pool of Siloam in John 9, or the raising of Lazarus near to Jerusalem in John 11. Instead of getting a universal approbation from the people, Jesus gets a very mixed response. Some, of course, do believe when the miracle happens in Judea, but it's interesting others do not believe. Even though Lazarus literally walked out of the tomb when Jesus called him, as well as the lame man, as well as the blind man. So what do we make of this? The fact is that when people have their hearts hardened, they will not be convinced of the identity of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, even if somebody rises from the dead right in front of them. It's like the story of going to the movie, but you miss the ending because you have fallen asleep. I'm sure it's happened to you sometime in your life. It's happened to me. Now, it's not terminal to miss the end of the movie, but it is terminal to miss the signs of the Son of God, the gospel of Christ, and the gift of eternal life. This is one thing you don't want to miss. That's why we must avoid sleeping when it comes to spiritual things. But as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Of course, he's not talking against natural sleep, nightly sleep. He's talking about spiritual sleep. And Judea was riddled with spiritual sleep and hardness of heart. The religiosity, the judgmentalness, the outward appearance performance, which is hypocrisy, putting on a front of being righteous when inwardly they were anything but, all of this is noxious in the sight of God. And how do we know? Because it was noxious to Jesus himself. After all, he is the mirror image of the invisible God. Whatever God thinks, acts, or speaks, that's what Jesus thinks, acts, or speaks, and vice versa. So because Jesus's time had not yet come, he decided to avoid confrontation for now. And after all, remember, this is the man who had gone into Jerusalem and overturned the money changers' tables and basically scattered not just the coins, but scattered the livestock from the temple precincts. So he's already had enough confrontation. He didn't want any more at this time. So he wisely withdrew from Judea and was returning back to Galilee. So what? let me clarify. In John 4, verse 2, Jesus was not personally involved in baptizing anyone. It was his disciples who did the baptizing on his behalf. Basically, the Apostle Paul tells us the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, I wasn't sent to baptize. I was sent to preach the gospel, and I thank God I didn't baptize anyone except a few people here or there, because my mission is preaching, not baptizing. He saved that for others. Now, in the book of Acts, we're going to see baptism in a whole new light. But let me back up. Baptism in the time of John implied repentance, 
cleansing and identification with the coming Messiah of whom John was the forerunner. But in the book of Acts, and of course, this is after Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and the church was born in the book of Acts, chapter 2. We enter into a new phase. Baptism from now on is what we would call Christian baptism, not John's baptism. Christian baptism is an outward sign of the inward grace that you have received the gospel and you have salvation in Christ. And, of course, Christian baptism is done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit or in the name of Jesus. So then Jesus makes the strategic decision. John 4, verse 3. Since the timing was not right, and he did not want to have any head-on collision with the Pharisees at this point, he wisely withdrew from Judea and decided to go north back to his home region of Galilee. So it tells us in John 4, verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. Again, a little bit of geography would be helpful. And I encourage you, friends, in your Bibles, or at least in many Bibles, there will be at the back colored maps. Have a look at the maps, and you will see some familiar place names. Get to know them. I'm telling you, it's like learning Greek or Hebrew. It will enhance your understanding of Scripture. So he's going to return back to Galilee. He's in Jerusalem. He has to go north. And there were two ways he could do it. One way was to travel from Jerusalem, go to the Jordan Valley. It was the more lengthy route. And so, in other words, you're in Jerusalem, go eastward to the Jordan Valley, go then north, and then go westward or northwestward to Nazareth. It was more lengthy. But the benefit of this route was that it was totally through friendly Jewish-inhabited territory. There was another way. It was the more direct way, but it meant going right through the heart of Samaria. And the region of Samaria was not a friendly region because the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Please bear in mind, in the Old Testament period, until around the year 722 B.C., Samaria was actually Israelite territory. Some of the 12 tribes of Israel lived there, particularly Ephraim and Manasseh. But as we're going to learn, these tribes and others, in fact, 10 tribes, were deported out of Samaria, out of Galilee, out of Transjordan by the Assyrians. I'll talk about that more a little bit later. But the fact is, the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, and this was a big problem. Jesus, of course, is going to overrule and break that taboo. He not only breaks it with the woman at the well, he will break it when he tells the parable of the good Samaritan. It wasn't the priest, it wasn't the Levite who showed mercy to the man who fell among the thieves and was nearly dead. It was a Samaritan that was the good neighbor, the man that showed mercy, the one that did God-honoring things. And, of course, Jesus deliberately used a Samaritan as the good one. And so we come to John 4, verse 5, Sychar. Jesus and the disciples came to this place, Sychar. It's a parcel of ground Jacob 
gave to his son Joseph. It was near the biblical city of Shechem, which is known today as Nablus. And in verse 6, we have some very important information. Jesus sat at the well of Jacob because, well, it provided what he needed at the moment. After all, he is the Son of God, but he's also the Son of Man. He's tired, he's weary, it's a long journey, it's about 12 noon, it's probably hot, and he's thirsty. So in verse 7, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well. Without hesitation, Jesus asks her to give him a drink. The fact that she came in to the heat of the day may indicate that she wanted to visit the well at that time in the hopes that no one would be there. After all, what we're going to learn is this woman had some embarrassing baggage. So she really preferred to be left alone. But to her surprise, there was Jesus at the well. And apparently no one else was with him. For in verse 8, we see that the disciples had all gone into the town to buy food. So Jesus was left alone. The woman is bemused. She's startled. How can you, a Jewish man, ask of me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? It is a pretty valid question if you know anything about the background of Jewish and Samaritan relations. Well, because our time is up, we will continue this in the next program. But what I want to point out is that where people may have ethnic, linguistic, and religious boundaries that separate them from others, when it comes to Jesus Christ, the gospel, the cross, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the liberty that the Spirit brings, there are no barriers, no borders, no boundaries. We are as all things to all men, that by all means we may win some. So our lesson is called Jesus Comes to Samaria. And our lesson for life is this. When you walk with God, every encounter is God-ordained, even if it involves an unlikely scenario. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.